Greetings, this is Pastor Stan Harvey of the Pentecostals of Sydney. Thank you for joining us on our podcast. It is our hope that this message, whether it be a Sunday service or a midweek lesson, would be a blessing and a help to you in your spiritual journey. Stay connected with us on our website, posydney.com, or on our numerous social media platforms. Now to the service. John chapter 11, verse number 35. We want to say a, a very big happy birthday to Sister Betty Crichton, who turns 21 again. It's a big milestone for her. Uh, the big 5-0. You shouldn't reveal a woman's age, and I've just done that, so I repent. But uh, we want to just say how happy we are. A happy birthday to our dishes. She's not here today. She's at work. But if you see her on Facebook or uh, when you see her next time, make sure you wish her a happy birthday. John chapter 11, let's all stand in the reading of God's Word. It's so good to see everybody here, all of our friends and family. Amen. We had some baptisms last Sunday. That was wonderful. Amen. We can have some today. If you've never been baptized, you can be baptized today to wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. If you never received the gift of the Holy Ghost, you can receive it. And you can be healed. John chapter 11, verse 35. If you have it, say amen. We're going to read this together on the count of three. We'll read this together. We don't normally read together, but we'll do this one together. One, two, three. Jesus wept. There it is. That's it. Okay, let's go home. This is the shortest verse in the Bible. And I know you're all hoping that I will, the sermon will be just as short. I will try. But I just want to talk to you on that thought. Jesus wept. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for what we felt here this day. Thank you for your presence that you have graced us. We never want to take for granted, Lord God, the blessing of being in your sanctuary and with God's people, Lord. We're asking you now, Lord God, as we open our hearts and our minds, Lord, that you'd speak to us that you would reveal yourself to us once again through your word. Let your anointing be upon your servant and your people here today, Lord God. We want to hear from you. We want an experience, a communion with you, Lord God, in a very real and powerful way. So, Lord, we ask you that you speak to us right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Clap your hands one more time and thank the Lord. bless you. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. This is the shortest verse in the Bible. And I'm not entirely sure who it was that was responsible for putting chapters and verse numbers on the scriptures, but the original manuscripts of the Old and New Testament did not have chapter divisions or verse divisions. But I'm glad that they did. And I don't know, maybe I would have just put this one little two-word verse into the rest of the verse before that or after that. Uh, but he put it in its own verse. And though it is short, yet these two words are, for the lack of a better term, pregnant with, uh, with profound significance and application. 
Somebody said, for all of its grammatical simplicity, it's packed with unfathomable complexity. This two-word verse is quite profound. And uh, if, if you've never, oh, let there be light versus the sound, and now it's, no, that's fine, in case you can't see me. But if you've never memorized Scripture, you can start with this one. If somebody's ever accused you of not knowing a memory verse, well, now you've got one. Uh, John 11 and 35, Jesus wept. And why is this uh, such a short verse profound? And believe, believe it or not, I, I've never preached on this text before. Uh, but this is profound because to the Jews, and in fact to many people, God is viewed as a stoic, uh, aloof, disconnected deity uh, that is out there somewhere in, in the celestial realm, uh, not really engaged in, in the life uh, of humanity. God is viewed as distant, far removed from the frailties of human emotion. We see him as a lawgiver, stoic, serious, a judge, authority, whose priority is to uphold truth and righteousness. And it certainly feels that way oftentimes when we are living for God and when things don't seem to pan out the way that we want or the way that we expected. That somehow we see God as uh, just a mere lawgiver to make sure that we are following right, to judge us and to look upon us and to count all the good and all the bad that we do. But what is so profound about this is that it reveals to us the humanity of God, who the Bible says God came into this world as he overshadowed Mary and, and was conceived in her uh, the Son of God uh, by virtue of the Holy Spirit. It was a miracle, miraculous conception. It was God that caused this life to be, and, and he enrobed himself. He made himself to become a man. One of the greatest miracles of all, perhaps one of the greatest concepts in all of human history that they say there have been many men that have wanted to become a God, but there's only ever one God who became a man. Amen. The Bible calls him the Word. The Word was with God, John 1, 1, and the Word was God. Amen. And the same was in the beginning with God. In verse 14, it says, And the Word, which is God, became flesh. Amen. And so what we have to understand right now at the outset of this message is that, that God became man, that he put on humanity and was fully man in every way. He experienced all of the human experiences that we have available to us. And God, through Jesus Christ, Jesus was fully man, and he was fully God. Amen. Uh, somebody said that as a, as a man, he was born as a baby, but as God, angels put on a concert at his birth. As a man, he went to a wedding, and as God, he turned the water into wine. 
As a man, he went to sleep on a ship, but as God, he woke up from that sleep and caused the storms to be stilled just by his word. Amen. As a man, he sat at a well of water, and as God, he told the lady at the well that he was the living water. As a man, he died on the cross, but as God, he got up in resurrection power. Amen. Jesus wept is important to us because it reveals what God could not reveal in his infinite power and glory, as it were, in his condition as the Spirit of God, that he revealed something that he could not reveal unless he had put on flesh, unless he had become a man. Now he can express something that we can all understand, something that we all can touch and relate to and comprehend because he became one of us in that Jesus wept in that he began to cry and that he wept for his friend and that he wept for this condition and this circumstance and it reminds us that God in his glory became one of us to understand the human condition I want you to know that we serve this God that there is only one God the Bible tells us and declares in the Old Testament, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. It's not three. It's not five. It's not. There's only one God. And the Bible tells us that God, the one God, was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Amen. Colossians 2 and 9, the Bible tells us, For in him, in Jesus Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And we are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Amen. I want you to understand that he was fully God and he was fully man. That in Christ Jesus was the God that loves us. There is only one God. Oh, praise the name of the Lord. And he was not a pseudo-man. He was not a, a fake man, but he was human in every way. The Bible says he was tempted in all points like as we are, and yet he did not sin. And so we come to this, this passage, and I believe that even though this is a short passage, maybe he had made a mistake the guy that divided the chapters and numbers, but perhaps it was on purpose because these two words are so filled with, with profound understanding and insight. You see, the story goes that uh, his friend Lazarus, the friend of Jesus, Lazarus, had died. Uh, and before that, the Bible tells us that when he was uh, in another town, that the news came to him that his friend Lazarus was gravely ill to the point of death. And so they sent message to their friend, and Jesus had a personal relationship with Lazarus and Lazarus's two sisters. I call them the M&M sisters, Mary and Martha. One was a peanut and was... And the Bible tells us that Jesus said in verse number 4 of John 11, he said, this sickness is not unto death but for the glory of God that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, and when he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. 
he stayed there, even though he had already heard news that he, his friend, was sick. He delayed his coming to his friend, even though if he had arrived earlier and just left as soon as possible, he would have been able to get there in time and heal his friend. What kind of friend would that be, huh? Uh, if they knew that uh, you were in trouble and said, ah, no, he's all right. Uh, I'll go see him later on. They would have been pretty upset, I think, and I think they were. And then he says in verse number 14, if you go to that same chapter, it goes down further. It says, Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad. Now, the, if you stop there, that's going to sound fairly strange, that his friend is dead, and he says, I'm glad. And he said, but you got to keep reading because he says, I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. And so reading those verses, you can come to understand that when Jesus heard about the sickness of his friend, he deliberately delayed his going to his friend to the extent where his friend had died. And he allowed his friend to die simply because he says, so that you may believe. He deliberately delayed it so that he could cause his disciples to begin to believe who he was. Amen. He allowed him to die so that their faith might be tested so that they can understand who Jesus is. Amen. You see, you've got to understand that the disciples were with Jesus all of this time. They had seen him unstop deaf ears, open blind eyes, walk on water. They had seen Jesus uh, multiply a few loaves and a couple of fish to feed thousands. They had seen, surely they would have had enough faith, but, but he understood that there is coming a time in their lives when Jesus would not be around, when he would be arrested, he would be beaten and he would be nailed to the cross and he would be buried in a tomb and the disciples would be without their rabbi, without their teacher. And so he needed them to understand and have enough faith to believe in God in the midst of what they lost in front of them. Hallelujah. That's why he allowed his friend to die. Because he was more interested in developing their faith than giving to them their comforts and answering every prayer that they had and giving them every need. Can I tell you here today what God gave me this message to give to you is for you to simply understand that God is more interested in developing your faith. He'll allow delays to come. He'll allow things to die in your life so that you may believe that he's the God. God of the resurrection, that God is the one that's going to bring you through. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. you got to understand he'll allow delays to come. He won't always answer your prayers like a microwave prayer and say, I want it now. I want it like an ATM machine where, God, I want it now. No, sometimes God will delay your prayers. He won't always give you what you want right now because he wants you to have faith, to trust in him. 
Oh, I wish I had some Pentecostals in here that knows what I'm talking about. Don't give up praying for your child. Don't give up praying for your husband. Don't give up praying. Stop praying for that job. But keep trusting. No matter how long it takes, he may not come when you want him. But God is always right on time. Hallelujah. Oh, I don't know how much more I can emphasize the fact that God is more interested in our faith than giving us our comforts and luxuries of life. He wants to know, I know you'll follow me when I give you money. I know you'll follow me when, you're, when the health is good and you've got, you got friends all around you. But have you got enough faith when your prayers are not answered? Have you got enough faith when he doesn't heal, when he doesn't bring you through? Can you still believe in God? Oh, hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Because delay does not mean denial. And if we can learn to wait on God and trust him, he wants to elevate our faith to the point where we are not with him, like was the story of Job that we talked about a few weeks ago, where we're not just sticking with him because he's given us stuff. But he wants to elevate our faith to a level of maturity and understanding to say, God, I don't have to have everything go my way for me to still trust in you. I don't have to have all of my dreams fulfilled to, to still have my faith in you. He said, God, I, I'm like a weaned child. You don't have to give me everything that I need, but I'm still going to be here. Oh, I would to God that we would find that kind of faith, that kind of commitment, that kind of even, even when the music's off sometimes, even when the preacher's not always hitting the ball out of the park, even when the sound is getting a little funny sometimes, you say, God, it doesn't matter. I'm in your kingdom for life. I've got faith to hold on through the mountaintop, but also through the valley. Hallelujah. Who would do that? Who would delay? I mean, if I was Lazarus, I'd be like, God, you know, you could have come a little sooner before I died. This is death. He says, I'm glad that he's dead for your sake because you've got to learn to believe, not just to, to multiply bread. You've got to learn to believe that when I'm not around, when it seems that God is silent in your life, when, when the blessings don't seem to be flowing like we want it, uh, when, when, when you hear a negative report from the doctors, uh, that, that somehow when all of these things don't turn out the way that we want, yet I'm still, I'm still with you. I still love you. I still got faith. You can't kick me out. I'm in this for the long haul. You're going to have to kick me out of heaven, but I'm going to hold on to heaven to no matter what comes my way, come hell or high water. I've got faith to hold on. You don't always have to feel good to have faith. You don't have to be on an emotional high. Well, one thing we read about scripture is that God himself had emotions. And there's nothing wrong with, with having emotions. I think this shows to us, gives us permission to be emotional. You read your Bible, God was angry. He experienced grief, God in the Old Testament. He experienced, he was you say, joyful. He was experiencing delight. 
Love, love is an emotion. It's okay to be emotional. I've heard that, I've heard that criticism so often. Oh, you Pentecostals are so emotional. You just get, uh, you know, that's all it is. It's not just emotion, folks. Something gets on the inside of you. It can't help but cause you to experience even some emotion. Amen. And some people say, well, I'm just not emotional. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that, that doesn't happen like that when you're watching your favorite football team win. When New South Wales wins on Wednesday. I'm not prophesying. I might be prophesying. And you, you win, somebody give you a, the, the ticket to, to Powerball, and you win, you win $10 million. Let's see how emotional you get, how stoic you are. Oh, that's, that's interesting. I just won $10 million. That's... No, you, you're going to get emotional. Amen. It's okay to be emotional. In fact, when we come into the presence of God and we begin to feel his spirit doing a work within on the inside of us, you can't help but something begin to happen in your life. You can't help but begin to show some little emotion. Amen. In fact, no matter how tired you are sometimes, when you come in here on a Sunday morning, you want to stir up that emotion and say, Jesus, I'm going to get happy for you. Even though I've had a tough week, even though it's just been trying, I've had a bad week of work and the boss is on my case, when I get into the house of God, I'm determined I'm not going to give you my worst. I'm not going to give you my, my Sunday uh, uh, sleep. I'm going to give you the very best. I'm going to get happy, rejoice. And you know what happens? Your God, your heavenly Father rejoices at you being happy because he sees my child has faith in me. They believe in me. Hallelujah. Jesus wept. Two words are very, has huge implications. And I don't know, I've, I've tried to read all these books and try to find out, why did Jesus weep? I even, I even you know, what, what every preacher does when, when they, they don't know, they ask Google. Why did Jesus weep? And nobody, there's no uniform answer because you know why? It doesn't say. We can only speculate at best as to the reason why Jesus wept. So here's my take on why Jesus wept. And these are all possibilities. There are three, maybe four possibilities as to why Jesus wept. He wept, number one, I believe, because he was weeping with his friends. He saw the despair that was in Mary and Martha for the loss of their brother. And of course, it was his friend. And I believe in every, with every kind of experience that he was a human in every way. He felt the same human emotions. And he wept with them. You, you have no, no, no other option but just to stand with them. And, and that's what God does for us. That's what he does. Is that sometimes he doesn't deliver us from every circumstance that we face. He doesn't remove every trial, every difficulty. But when we are weeping, he weeps with us. That's why the Bible says to rejoice with them that rejoice and to weep with them that weep. Amen. And can I tell you, sometimes that could be the only consolation that you need. Amen. You don't always need God to deliver you from every circumstance, but to simply understand that when you are weeping, I believe God weeps with us. 
Amen. When we are in despair and when we're under pressure and when, when life is tough and, and we feel like giving up, I promise you, you've got a God to say, no, you can do it. But I'm weeping with you. I'm holding your hand. And with nail-scarred hands, he stands beside us to tell us, I know about pain. I know about betrayal. I know what it means to be let down. I know what it means to be victimized and stabbed in the back. He said, I know about it, but I'm standing with you. I weep with you. Listen to me. When you're going through hardship, I believe that God weeps for us. He bottles up every tear from our eyes. He sees every tear that falls from your eyes, and he bottles it up and remembers members he remembers and sees us and sometimes that's all we need and folks the application for us here today is that we need to be that to other people and you don't you may not have the answer to some people's problems and that's fine you're not a counselor you're not even counselors and psychologists they don't know at best how to help other people but listen to me, there's healing virtue in simply being with somebody and standing with them, being what we call the incarnation. The incarnation is God becoming human to become one of us. And listen, you become the hands and the feet of Jesus and you bring healing to this world when you've got a brother who's in pain, when you've got a sister who's struggling to simply say, hey, I'm, I'm standing with you. I'm going to hold your hand. I don't have the answers to your problems. I don't know the way out to your circumstance. But all I know is when you cry, I'm going to cry with you. When you have circumstances, I'm going to pray together with you. You are the hands. You are the feet. You are the ears. You are the eyes and the heart of Jesus. Hallelujah. That's why he told his followers, he said, when I was in prison, you didn't visit me. When I was sick, you didn't come and comfort me. When I was alone, you, didn't, you weren't my friend. And they said, well, what are you talking about, Jesus? When did we do this to you? He said, when you've done it to the least of these, the lowest in society. You know the ones uh, that have, no, have absolutely no, 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 nothing to give to you or add to you, the ones that nobody looks at and the one that nobody looks to, uh, those are the ones. He said, if you do it to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. Listen, when we stand together and begin to weep with those who weep, the Spirit of Jesus is emanating through us. It's manifesting through us. I think that's one of the reasons why Jesus wept. I think the second reason that Jesus wept was because when he came he finally got to Bethany. He finally gets to, the, to the, uh, the tomb of his friend. Everybody was looking at him. I say, well, I, he, he healed other people. Man, surely if he came on time, he could have done something else. Maybe he wept, not because he wept out of sorrow with his friends, but possibly he wept because of, out of frustration, the lack of faith of the people that were there with him. And with all the miracles in the Bible, with all the miracles that Jesus performed in his ministry, perhaps the greatest miracle of all is the miracle of unbelief. So what are you talking about? Well, with all that stuff that he did, they still didn't believe him. They still never believed his claims. That one day they would all cry, crucify him, crucify him, the people. 
And his own disciples abandoned him at his darkest moment. And could it be, and I don't know, again, I'm speculating here at best, that he was crying because of their unbelief. That despite what he did, they still failed to believe in him. Amen. And listen to me. Uh, the opposite of unbelief, if unbelief is, is so powerful, is simply believing in his word. Is simply believing in God, that God is able to do what he promised he would do. He said, the Bible says, nothing shall be impossible to them that believe. Hallelujah. We heard it already. Brother Greg said earlier that faith is the currency of the economy of heaven. Amen. That if you can simply believe, he's not even asking you to cross the seven seas or to climb Mount, climb Mount Everest or to go and make a million dollars and then you can believe. He said, no, a simple child, anybody in here can simply believe God. And if you can believe in his promises, I'm telling you, you can receive a miracle right here today. A young lady received the gift of the Holy Ghost today. You can receive that same promise if you so believe, if you need healing in your body and you've got faith to believe, oh, he can heal you. He can deliver you out of every circumstance if you have faith to believe. Oh, hallelujah. Glory to God. Faith is so simple and yet it is so powerful. Like I said earlier, that Jesus would even delay his coming, allowing his friend to die just so he can develop their faith. You know, that's why they have placebos today. You know, placebos, every pharmaceutical company that produces a new drug, they have to test it. They have to do the research, make sure it works. They usually take the test subjects, test groups. In one group, they would give the actual medicine. In the other group, they would give fake medicine called placebos. It's just like a tablet of sugar or something like that but they tell them they don't tell them which one's fake and which one's real and that is standard practice when it comes to pharmaceutical research is they use placebos why because it's a standard fact it is a fact that people experience healing from the power of their belief amen and people actually take the placebo they get healed or they get the experience, what the, the medicine was supposed to do, because they're thinking that it has all, the, all, all of the ingredients, all of the qualities in that medicine to give them what they're supposed to get. But they don't. It has nothing, and that is the power of belief. And if, if, that, if you can believe in, a, in something that is not real, and yet that belief has enough power to bring healing to you, how much more with belief in the Almighty God... That if you can believe in a Savior, in our Lord, who, who claimed to be God, who went to the cross and on the third day rose again to prove and verify that he is who he says he is. My goodness, if you can believe in Jesus that's here today, you can receive the power of God to bring healing to your body, to bring a restoration to your mind. Come on, somebody. Does anybody in here believe in God? He said, if you can believe, all things are possible. Oh, hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen. I, got, I, can, I can give this mic to some, a whole bunch of people in here. They can testify of where God has healed them, where God has set them free and made them whole. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, the, to me, the third option, 
Third reason why Jesus possibly wept. Well, he, he may have wept because he thought, well, I'm about to, to resurrect this, this Lazarus from the dead. Maybe he was weeping because he was going to take Lazarus out of paradise and put him back on the stinky old earth. I don't know about you, but, but if I'm in paradise already, I don't want to go back to pay my mortgage. I want to have to go back and have to go to the gym. <laughs> if I'm in paradise with Jesus, leave me there, okay? Don't pray me back unless God wants me to come back for some reason to fulfill his will. I don't know. But if I may, maybe that's why he was crying. I don't know. He said, man, I'm sorry, Lazarus. I know you're, 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 you're in the presence in the bosom of Abraham, enjoying the glories of heaven in the afterlife. But uh, I'm going to put you back in your four-day-old dead body. Yeah, you know the one? Yeah, the one that had diabetes and the one that had the sore knee and maybe, I don't know. But that's not my, my point. I believe that he wept because of what was about to happen. Because of the glories that was about to take place. Because listen to me, when something powerful happens to you, when you come into contact with the divine, when you come into contact with God Almighty in your life, and he transforms you and changes you, maybe it's not as dramatic as coming from the dead, coming back to life. Oh, but maybe it's a dead life in sin. You know, our lives before Christ, our lives were in sin, that we were in sin, bound up with all kinds of addictions and vices, and we come into the presence of God, and we open our heart, and the Holy Ghost fills us again, and there is a transformation. He takes, as it were, a dead life, and he resurrects it back to living victoriously with the presence of God dwelling. Listen to me, when something powerful like that happens, no wonder he wept you can't help but begin to cry you can't help but begin to weep there's got to be an emotional expression with what's happening on the inside Oh, it's like that old song, Jesus on the inside, working on the outside. What a change in my life. When you get joy, when you get the Holy Ghost, oh, your life is transformed. It's as if you've come from the dead and been brought back to life. Hallelujah. Can I tell you here today, if you don't know Jesus, if you've never repented of your sin, if you come today and say, Jesus, I, I want to follow you, I promise you your life will be transformed. You will have a new life. You'll walk in the victory. And if you get baptized, hallelujah. That's what Paul wrote in the book of Romans. He says, when you get baptized, you were are, you are buried with Jesus in baptism, just as Jesus was buried in the tomb when he, was, when he died on the cross. And on the third day, he resurrected. The Bible tells us when we go into the water, calling on Jesus' name, we are baptized, we are buried with Christ. And when we come up out of the water, the Bible says you walk in a new life. You walk in a whole new, brand new life with Jesus. 
Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but that gets me excited. I don't have to be held hostage by the sins of the past, by my guilt, by my shame. I've been set free. I've been washed in the blood. No wonder Jesus wept. No wonder Jesus wept. That's why all throughout this building, people come to this altar, tears begin to flow. And that may be the only manifestation that you will see of what's happening on the inside, of what God is doing in somebody's life. Oh, hallelujah. I believe he wept because he saw the change that was about to take place, this transformation. This is it. Maybe he wept at the joy that was say, you know, tears of joy they talked about. He said, because this is a foreshadowing of what's going to take place to all of us one day. That when we come out, when should the Lord tarry, we're all going to die. Oh, but there's a promise for the believer, the child of God, that there's coming a day when the trumpet of God is going to sound and the voice of the archangel is going to shout. Then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them that are asleep. Amen. Even though we're buried and dead, there's coming a day. We're going to be reunited with our loved ones. We're going to be together again. And we're going to rise up in victory. Hallelujah. That puts tears in my eyes. It's not tears of sadness or sorrow, but it's tears of joy. That one day we will rise and we will be with Jesus forever. Hallelujah. You Pentecostals are so emotional. Y'all better just tone down. No. God gets a hold of you. It's not just emotion. But God made us as emotional creatures. He created emotions in us. And it's just a simple expression of what God is doing in our lives. Oh, hallelujah. And you can experience that same thing. Just like Lazarus. That you can be resurrected by simply repenting of your sins. If you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, we've got water here. It's warm-ish. You don't have to do a whole class. All you got to do is be ready to commit your entire life. If you're not ready to commit to Jesus, then don't worry about it. Don't forget it. But if you want to go to heaven, want to commit the rest of your life to following Jesus, you can be baptized today in Jesus name and something here here's what happens something happens it's not you're not joining a membership this is not like a membership form but the Bible says your sins are washed away every sin that you've committed that's what baptism does Acts chapter 2 verse number 38 repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission the removal of your sins Acts 22 16 uh, why tarries thou arise and, and be baptized in Jesus name washing away your sins that's what it does. And when you come up out of the water, you have a new body, as it were, a resurrected life. And he promises to fill you with the gift of his Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. That is the greatest message. The greatest message you will ever hear. Message of salvation. Now I've got to close. Musicians, you can come.
And so Jesus goes to the tomb of his friend Lazarus, tells him, roll away the stone. The stone was a, would have been the shape of a, like a, a wheel made of heavy stone. It was running along tracks, a track in front of that tomb. He would roll away that big stone. And Jesus prayed. And then he spoke those words. He said, Lazarus, come forth. And it's often been said it's a good thing that he called his name because if he didn't call Lazarus, would have been the entire graveyard. <laughs> would have been like the living dead, the night of the living dead. <laughs> Everybody coming out. It's a good thing he called his name. I don't know, maybe there were other Lazaruses there. <laughs> yeah, the scriptures talks about it. there was a whole, a whole bunch of people that were resurrected from the dead. And I can just imagine as he stood there with the people, the crowd surrounding him, waiting for something would happen. The, there would have been the silence and the hush of the crowd waiting to see, is, is Jesus lost his mind? But within a few moments, they began to hear the shuffle of feet. Perhaps he was hopping. I don't know, maybe he was hopping like this. Because <laughs> he was tied up, bound up in grave clothes where Jesus commanded them, said, loose that man and let him go. He was bound up like a mummy with grave clothes. But as he stood up, and people saw him. Amen. Jesus performed this miracle. I don't know, maybe you came in this house hopping like that. Maybe you've been bound up. Maybe you barely made it to the house of God. Maybe you kind of shuffle your way. You're barely making any strides to get, but you're here today. And Jesus commanded his people, loose him, let him go. Listen, we've got people here that can pray with you to pray for deliverance, to set you free, to see the miracle of God. Hallelujah. I believe that, that whenever we walk away from God, tears will fall down his eyes figuratively, of course. But listen, Jesus had a physical body. That physical body is resurrected and is still existing today in heaven. And he said in the same way that he left, he's going to come back in the same way. If he could, if he could uh, eat back then, I'm telling you, he could still shed tears. And maybe as he will, people walk away from him, tears are shedding. When people, as people are coming to him, I believe the same emotion is probably conveyed through our Savior and our Lord. I don't know who you are here today, but I believe God told me that he wants to heal somebody today. God wants to perform a healing in somebody's life right now. Whether it's physical healing, mental healing, or healing of your heart. If you have faith, if you can believe, God can heal you today. Whatever that disease may be, whatever that sickness may be, we have a God who is all-powerful and is able to set us free and to deliver us from that disease. God told me to tell that to, to this audience, to this congregation here this morning, that he's going to heal you. Would you stand to your feet? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you lift your voices in prayer? Hallelujah. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Lord God, through your life, we can understand that you expressed emotions in your humanity, you revealed your love, your compassion, your mercy, your empathy. 
Lord God, I thank you, Lord, that you called to us, that your love for us is so great. Lord God, those tears are tears of love for your people and for your children. And right now, Lord God, we're ready. We're willing, Lord God, to stir up our faith and to be obedient to your word and to receive the promise of healing, the promise of salvation, to be filled, to be regenerated by your Holy Spirit today. Lord God, we are receptive and open to you to receive from you your word, your miracle, your supernatural wonders, your miracles to behold. Lord God, today we come hungry and thirsty and we want to know you more and more to walk with you, a friend who loves us. Hallelujah. I've got to stop, but God is not finished with you, with doing a work in your life. I feel the Holy Ghost moving me here today to give out this appeal and invitation for you to come to this altar if you'd like to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, if you'd like to receive healing in your body, in your mind, your heart, He will heal you. If you step out from your seat, find your way to this altar. Ministers and leaders are ready to pray with you. Maybe you've been bound. Maybe things in your life have gotten you captive, have held you, and you don't know how to get out. You don't know how to get past it. We can pray for you that God can set you free today. If you need something from the Lord, making a fresh commitment to God, this altar is open and the Spirit of the Lord is here to bring transformation in your life. Oh, hallelujah. Why don't we seek him together all over this house? In Jesus' name. the master. Come on to your friend. This next closer than any brother. 